Thanks for being with us today. We're honored to have each and every person uh, out with us this morning. And uh, man, we got we got room for a few more people here. Uh, we got a for the body. You'll go on the street. We got about 30 more seats. I think we're going to fill them up. And I want to share uh, just a, a little advertisement uh, this morning before we get in the message. Uh, it was very gracious that Hal Anderson College was willing to send some music and media for us. Uh, and we, the church, purchased all the leftover CDs that were here from the conference. And we purchased them to have them available to anyone that would like to buy them. And uh, we got a great deal on these. They're 10, 10 bucks a piece. If you'd like, we have, there's one, two, three, four, five different CDs uh, over the last several years. I've got several in my office. If you'd like to get one of these, uh, there is still a few left. Uh, this one, I believe, Lift Up the Cross is the one that Lizzie is on. Uh, but several years uh, of music from the college they have available. See me about that if you'd like to uh, get some CDs. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me encourage you, if you have a pen, I would recommend getting it out. <laughs> get it out of your pocket, get it out of your purse, uh, get it out of your hair, wherever you keep it. Uh, I don't have any hair, so i got to keep mine in my pocket. Uh, but some of you have enough hair, you might be able to stick it in your hair and it would stay there. Uh, I'm not one of those people. Uh, Pastor Wilkerson said his hair was so thick that even God couldn't part it. Uh, if you have hair like that, maybe you can stick a pen in there. But uh, get a pen out. If you have a piece of paper, grab a, grab a paper. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. And I never apologize for using scripture. Uh, but I'm going to give you a bunch. We're not going to have time to turn to all of it today. And I want you to have it. I want you to get it. Uh, I want you to have a chance to look back on it and be encouraged. And uh, so look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice that phrase, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I want us to focus on that thought this morning, the author and finisher of our faith. Before we pray, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me. We're going to look at one more verse, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 this morning. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, that's a very important word, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. For the gospel. Lord, it is the good news of the gospel that gathers us all here this morning. Lord, it was the gospel that got to Brother Ocampo as a young religious man who saw his need of a savior because of the gospel. It was the gospel that I understood as a young boy as I bowed my knee in that little trailer in Wyoming so many years ago and called on you as my savior. Lord, it was the gospel. Lord, the, the reality of the gospel, that first resurrection morn that was proclaimed as the great good news that there was an empty tomb, that you were not there, that you were risen. It is the gospel is the reason we come together every Lord's Day. And Lord, as we have a blessed opportunity to talk about the gospel, to talk about you being the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord, I pray you would use your word powerfully today. Lord, we know it's perfect. We know it's holy and preserved. We know that it is the power of God. Lord, I pray you would use it most powerfully in every heart and every life. Lord, I pray if there be one here today that knows you not as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would understand and receive the gospel. Lord, I pray for Christians here this morning. Lord, that we would be reminded, Lord, that you're the author. You're the one that continues to work. And God, you're going to finish what you started. 
Lord, help us. Help me today. Help me to preach your right, your truth. Lord, I pray you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up, that you draw all men to yourself. Lord, help me. May you be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want to share a statement, a quote with you this morning as Caleb puts it on the screen for you. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. As he hung there on that cross and he cried out those words from the cross, it is finished. What he was speaking about was the payment, your redemption. He, he paid the price for you on Calvary. And as he gave up the ghost, it was paid. Can I tell you the greatest price ever paid was the price that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary. Amen. You know why the price had to be so great? Because our sin is so great. Our separation from God is so far. But when Jesus said, it is finished, he did not Say, I am finished. Don't miss that, the simplicity of that great truth this morning. Amen. Jesus isn't finished yet. He isn't finished yet. I love the story that I heard a preacher tell many, many, many years ago when I was a young teenager. It was Brother Ron Garris. You ever hear Brother Garris preach? I don't know if you ever heard him or not. Brother Garris was a unique individual. Let me miss Lois. He got saved out of a wicked, wicked life. He was a rough, he was rough as a cob. And God used him in the great prison ministry in the U.S. And uh, I believe even across Canada as well. And Brother Garris had some unique one-liners when he preached. He said, won't you look me in my God-given eyeball? And I guess he had two eyeballs, but he always wanted you to look him in his God-given eyeball. He'd say, won't you run into my fist about a million miles an hour? He, he was a unique guy. But I remember hearing Brother Garris preach as a young teenager, and he preached about the folded napkin. He talked about when Jesus rose from that tomb and how when they went in and they found the grave clothes and they found the napkin, the napkin which covered his face, and they found it folded. And Brother Garris shared the story of the culture of that day that at a meal, when one was eating, that when the meal was done, if you were finished, you took the napkin and you wadded it up and you put it on the table, you were done. But if you had to leave the table for a bit in that culture when Jesus was here walking this earth, in the culture of that day, if you had to leave, but you, were, you weren't done yet. Many times my wife will come by and Miss Lois, she'll go to grab a drink. Last night she went to grab a can from beside my chair and I looked at her, what are you doing? Said, Give me that. There was like this much drink still in that thing. I said, give me that. Don't you touch that. I'm not done with that yet. And how many of you husbands have the same problem with your wives? Maybe we can have some kind of helpful event to help them. But I wasn't done with it. Now, the way that in the culture of the day, the people would say, I'm not done yet, if they left the table, they'd take their napkin and they would fold it neatly and lay it by the table. And that was a sign, I'm not done, I'm coming back. And I want to remind you this morning, Jesus is not done. He's not finished. He, he finished the work of dying for you on Calvary, but he was not finished with his work. This morning, I want us to look, and we're going we're gonna to get there eventually, I promise. I want to talk to you about him being the finisher. And Jesus is the finisher. But before we get there, I want to share a couple other thoughts with you. Number one this morning, Jesus is the beginner. Jesus is the beginner of the good work in you. Can I tell you, when you got saved, it was not your good work. It was the good work that God began. Amen. It was not a good work that we did. It is not a good work that you worked up. It's not a way you learned to do a good work. Rather, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life. It doesn't say I let them earn eternal life. It doesn't say that I, I teach them how to finally acquire it. Rather, I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I 
Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. There's one way to heaven. Say, Pastor, that's very narrow-minded of you to believe that. No, it's not what I believe, it's what God says. Amen. And by the way, it's not the church's way. It's not a Baptist way. It's God's way. There, he, he, Jesus Christ, not, not being moral, not being religious, not going, doing good deeds. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, not that good person. You say, oh, if anybody should go to heaven, it's that dear sweet person. No. The Bible says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. You can't bypass Jesus Christ. You can't bypass Jesus Christ and find your way to heaven. There is only one way, and that way, because he's the beginner. Amen. The Bible says he's the author. He, he started, he's the author of the good work, yeah. salvation in you. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, that being justified by his grace. What's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. What's grace? That's getting something good that I do not deserve. I am justified not by merit, not by works, not by religiosity. I am justified by grace. Why? Because he is the beginner. God's the beginner. He's the beginner of the work in you. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want to talk to each and every person here this morning in a very serious matter. Every one of us here, no matter your background, no matter your culture, no matter where you were born, no matter what your parents did for a living, no matter the socioeconomic structure you came from, no matter what you were taught, no matter what your feelings, no matter what your traditions of life, every one of us one day will face eternity. One day, every one of us, our heart will stop beating. My oldest cousin, I found out just a day and a half ago, her son was 32 years old. Breathed his last breath in a hospital room after a horrible situation. He went off in eternity, 32 years old. Can I tell you this morning that every one of us will be there someday? Oh, you may be not be 32, you may be 22. Or you may be 72 or 92. or Like me and Miss Lois, someday 172. Miss <laughs> Lois is going to preach my funeral, by the way. Don't forget. But... Every one of us one day will face an eternity either with God or without Him. And it is vital this morning, if you get nothing else, it is vital you understand that Jesus Christ is the beginner of the good work in you. Salvation is available no other way but no other place. You can't get it started. You can't jump start it. I used to have a car that had a bad starter a vehicle and because I'm such a dummy I spent three months driving that car without a starter because it was a manual transmission. I'd get in that vehicle I'd push start it, jump in, pop the clutch and uh, that's a, a West Virginia starter for the Campo is the, the jump starter. And eventually I had to break down and change, change. It wasn't the starter it was the flywheel. It had a uh, some teeth missing so it wouldn't grab. I had to change out that. Broke, dropped the transmission and transfer a case on my hand, Jim. Uh, I almost ended up like you, but I kept my fingers. But uh, they were broken pretty bad. But I had to start it. I had to get that thing pushing and get it rolling. And then I would get in and I'd pop the clutch and boom, 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 it would start. But I started the momentum. If you think that you have anything to do with starting the momentum for the good work in you, can I tell you, you have not gone the way, the only way, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. 
There is one way, and that way is Jesus. Amen. He is the beginner. There is no other beginning. There is no other place to start. There is no other door. There is no other path. There is no other. It is only through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know that you have come, understanding your need of a Savior. The Bible says, for all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. By the way, that when it speaks of death, it's not just talking about laying in a casket one day, although that will happen to all of us. It's talking about eternal death, eternal separation from God. It's talking about a real place, not a swear word, but a real place called hell. And by the way, not a place where you're going to gather with your buddies and have a party. A place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of darkness, a place of pain and torment. Not just annihilation, but eternal torment. And because of that great gulf, in the story of the rich man of Lazarus, God said to the rich man, there's a great gulf fixed. And can I tell you, there is a great gulf fixed between you and God. Your sin has separated you from him. And there is only one way across that chasm, and that way is Jesus Christ. He's the beginner. He's the author. I said, number one, Jesus is the beginner of the good work in you. Number two, not only is Jesus the beginner of the good work in you, Jesus is the performer. Jesus is the performer of the good work in you. And Christian, here's where we struggle sometimes. Can, can, I, can I get very real with you and, and let's get down to the level where we live, Christians? Here, here's something we all struggle with. We think, okay, God saved me, and then he put the steering wheel in my hand, and I got to drive this bus. Years ago, a friend of mine and I were driving outside the city of Chicago, driving to the suburb of Aurora, Illinois, where I used to, used to run a bus every week of the world from Aurora to our church in Indiana. It was a long, long way. Uh, Brother Campo, a little over an hour drive on a bus. And uh, we would bring folks to church from Aurora back and forth. And me and my bro- me and my my brother, he was my brother in Christ. Uh, we were brother Borner, brother Borner and I were going down. Just he and I. There were no kids on the bus. Let me let me start off. There were no kids on the bus. Uh, no kids on the bus. Uh, just he and I. And we're driving down the highway early in the morning on a Sunday morning, like five in the morning. And brother Borner is driving. He said, "I'm tired." I said, "What? I'll drive." And so I went up beside of him. He's driving the bus here. I stood up beside of him. I put my foot on the gas pedal. I got the steering wheel. He got out of the seat by the mic. I got in the seat and I drove. That became a thing for us. We'd take turns driving. Uh, sometimes we'd change two or three or four times. I don't recommend that. Uh, and there were no kids on the bus. Uh, but, you know, we in the midstream, you know, we, we okay, I'll take over driving. So often we think that God saved us, and God says, okay, here, you take the wheel. I'll see you when you get to heaven. But what am I doing? I've never driven a life before. I've never lived a Christian life before. And we feel overwhelmed. We feel unworthy. We feel like a failure. You ever been there? I have. And we begin to say, I, I can't live this Christian life. I can't make the decisions how to make. I want to encourage you this morning, Christian, that he is the author and finisher of our faith, but he is also the doer. He is the performer of the good work in you. He doesn't just push start you. Here you go. You get going. I'm leaving now. I have a sister. How many of you have How many of you men have a sister? How many Okay, keep your hands up. You have a sister. Keep your hands up. Be honest with me. How many of you never fought with your sister? You didn't keep your hand up, did you? Cuz I'm going to ask. You never fought with your sister. Where's Okay. How many of you had brutal knockdown drag out fights with your sister? 
There we go. That's my people right there. <laughs> How many of you ever did something to your sibling, your sister, your brother, that you probably shouldn't have done? Wow, I'm not the only one, Brother Juries. I grew up on a farm, and behind our house is a garden area, and then the barn, and then at the edge where the barn is, the, the land drops down over to the next fields, the fields going back to the backwater there, the first set of fields, and there's a hill going down, and, and then that set of fields is separated by an area you got to go down and back up to the last fields, back by the river, where there's actually three sets of fields. But the hill there behind the barn is this dirt, there's a road that goes down, and when we were little, my sister's two years younger than me, I would ride my bicycle down that hill. And I convinced my sister, who could barely ride a bicycle on flat ground, she would remember two years younger than me, I brought her back and I said, hey, I said, I, I, I want you to ride down this hill. And here's what I said, Vaughn. You probably say this to your sister someday. I said, you know, you ride down the hill. If you fall, if you get hurt, I'll carry you. I'll carry your bicycle back home. Well, Campo, I lied to her. You know what I did? I watched as she got on that bicycle and she went down that hill. Ambulances were almost called. Man, she, she tumbled. You know what I did? I ran away. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> No, sir, I do not know why Robin went down the hill. Absolutely not. You're on your own. That's why she still hates me to this day. But Christian, why is it that we would think that a loving God who left heaven and came to earth, who endured the suffering of Calvary, who endured the hating of men, the rejection of those he created and loved, what will make us think that God would push us down the hill and to help you figure it out on your own? The Bible gives us some truth, and I want to read some verses. If you want to write the references down, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. As I said before, Jesus is not done working yet. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That's a powerful verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Hold on, whose works? His workmanship. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isaiah 62 in verse 12, the Bible says, The Lord, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. For thou also hast wrought all our work in us. That's a powerful verse. Lord, all of your work in us, you did it. All the work in us, God, it was you that did it. The same is true today, not just in Isaiah's day. Hebrews 13. <coughs> Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 21, it says, Make you perfect. <coughs> In every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope this morning you understand and see that it is God who performs the good work in you. Galatians 2, verse 8. For he that wrought effectually... Who's that he? For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision. The same, the same was mighty in me, Paul said, towards the Gentiles. In other words, Paul said, hey, just as God worked in Peter, he's working in me. And Christian, may I say with uh, guarantees this morning that just as God worked in Paul to the Gentiles, God is working in you. Amen. That good work, he's performing it. Amen. That's his job. 
He's working in you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. But Christian, can I tell you that verse does not stop there. The word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Can I testify to you this morning that Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit is performing the good work in you. We're not called to perform for Jesus Christ. We've wrongly got a performance mentality that God will love me as long as I do good stuff. Can I tell you why you have that mentality? Because you were taught that in your home growing up. Oh, Daddy loves me because I did what Daddy likes. Mommy loves me because I, I did something that made Mommy happy. So now I, I, I have the same, uh, I did something that they love, so now they love me. Or when you did something wrong, your parents may have wrongly said, we don't love you anymore. It ought not be, but can I tell you, for many of us in our culture, we have been conditioned to believe that God will love us when we do good, and God won't be happy with us, and he won't love us when we do bad. And it's a performance mentality. I have to perform for God so God will be pleased. And if I don't perform, God's not pleased. I worked in sales before. In sales is what have you done for me lately? When you are the top salesman, man, your boss loves you. You are the king. You are loved. I've been there. I've been there at my desk uh, while my, my sales manager came and gave me back massages. Hey, you want a coffee? Let me get you something. Why? I was, I was number one salesman in the, in the nation that week. Man, I was making him the big bucks. I was the rookie phenom. That was my name. He didn't call me Brian. This is a phenom. But you know, when I settled out in a few months to being one of the top salesmen in the office but not the top in the nation, I didn't get those back massages anymore, Brother Krim. He didn't come by and say, hey, do you need anything? Can I help you? Because I wasn't performing at the level that I was before. Can I tell you that God does not look at your performance and say, okay, let's see. Yeah, Tim, he's performing okay. He's, he's okay. I, really, I kind of like him. But that Josh guy, he's useless. I don't like him anymore. <laughs> that wasn't God speaking. That was me speaking. Uh, you know, God doesn't do that. He loves you. That Kit Children's song, He Loves Me Even When I'm Bad, when I do the things I should not do. He's the one that performs. He's not asking you to perform, He's asking you to yield to let Him perform in you. And number three, very simply, this is the message this morning. All of that was introduction. Jesus is the finisher. Jesus is the finisher of the good work in you. I want to take a few moments to share some thoughts about some things that were finished from the Bible. And then I want to tie it all back together as we think about Jesus being the finisher of the good work in you. In Genesis 2, we see that God finished something. He finished creation. And by the way, it says in Genesis 2, 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. It doesn't say he began it, and then evolution began to work, and eventually it would happen. It's finished. It was done. Uh, the heavens and the earth were finished, completed. Not only was creation finished, in Exodus 39 we see the tabernacle finished. Exodus 39, 32, thus was all the work of the tabernacle, of the tent of the congregation, finished. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. 
We see a picture, and we're going to see this, several things here this morning. Finished. Finished. Before we look at another one, how many of you in your mind, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about someone you know who is notorious for starting things and never finishing them. Every one of you have somebody in your family that, yep, I know who that is. <laughs> I, yeah, I know a couple people. Maybe some folks you work with. They're great at starting. Uh, maybe some of your parents are pointing at your children. Uh, I'm not going to call anyone out. But, we, you know, we, we start things, but we don't finish them. We begin, and we don't end well. God is not a, just a starter. Our text tells us that he is the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher. And Jesus set his face like a flint to Calvary. He went all the way. He could have stopped, but he did not. He finished. He hung on that cross, and before he gave up the ghost, he cried out those words. It is finished. He finished that. But he's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with his work. We see the picture of creation being finished. We see the tabernacle finished. In Deuteronomy, it tells us the writing of the law was finished. Deuteronomy 31, verse 24. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book. Until they were finished. Moses, God's penman. As God gave him his word. Moses wrote the words of God until God said that's it he didn't say okay Moses now, now you can add whatever you want now you just put whatever you want there no he wrote the word of God until God was finished and he put the pen he didn't do this uh, he probably broke his quill uh, but he was done it was finished Solomon's temple by the way, David wanted to build it. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. David loved the Lord. David had a, such a close relationship. David, a man after God's own heart. And he said, God, let me build. I, I want to build a temple. Not just a temporary tabernacle, but I want to build a temple. And God, and God said to David, no, your hands are too bloody. You're a man of war. But God would allow his son, by the way, his son, Conceived in a relationship that came out of a broken family, that came out of a very dysfunctional home and family, but God would raise up a Solomon, and Solomon would finish. It says in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, so Solomon built the house and finished it, and finished it. The temple would be finished later in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. And this house was finished on the third day of the month, Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Nehemiah, the cupbearer, we, we have a running joke. Colton's up with uh, teaching the children in children's church. But we've got a running joke that started about a month ago. We call it the Nehemiah ministry. And uh, we had uh, the day we did, how many, you teenagers remember the night we had chili? Remember the chili we had? I made chili here at the church. And I made it the day before. And we had Brother Will Esienko was with us helping doing some electrical the next day or that day. And I joked with Will. I said, hey, I said, we got we to gotta do the work of Nehemiah, the Nehemiah ministry. I said, we got to be taste testers. And uh, so we ate the chili before the teens ate it that afternoon. We, we did the work of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. Uh, then we ended up having to do the same thing for another opportunity about three weeks ago. And, and Brother Will was here. I think Will comes every time there's a Nehemiah ministry. But Nehemiah left, left being the king's cupbearer to go to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 6, verse 15, so the wall was finished. 
the wall was finished. In the twenty and fifth day of the month Elul, in the fifty and two days, Jesus' work on this earth, as he became flesh and dwelt amongst us, was finished. In John 17, Jesus said in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished. <laughs> I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. In John 19 and verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. The apostle Paul, Paul would be an enemy of Christ after he was crucified. The Apostle Paul, who would be called on his way to kill people of the way, to kill Christians, would himself call Jesus Lord. Would himself say, what would thou have me to do? Would himself be called to be a chosen vessel to carry the gospel to the Gentiles? And Paul, as an older man, before he would lose his head, would pin the words God gave him to young Timothy. Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul would pen, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. We see several people involved in the work of God. We see Moses. We see God the Father. We see Solomon. We see Nehemiah, we see Ezra, we see Saul, we see Jesus Christ, we see Paul, all of them involved as we looked at works that were finished. That the Bible records and we can look at many others. Why is it we would believe that Paul would be faithful to finish the work God called him to do? And yet we would doubt that God would finish his work. Why is it we would believe Moses? By the way, Moses who got mad and smote the rock. And by the way, don't be too critical of Moses. If you had to lead a bunch of uh, Hebrews through the wilderness for 40 years, you'd have probably got mad and smote the rock too. I'd have probably smote more than a rock. I'd have smote me a bunch of people. Uh, Moses had much, was much more calm and reserved than me. But Moses finished. Solomon, by the way, Solomon made some really bad choices. Solomon had worldly wisdom. In that worldly wisdom, he married wives he should not have married. He allowed those wives to turn his heart from God with their false idols and false gods. But yet Solomon, by the way, as an old man, said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, this is what life's all about. This is all that really matters. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But Solomon finished. I stand before you this morning to tell you that Jesus Christ is going to finish the work he started in you. By the way, for no other reason, if I didn't have other scriptures, and we're not looking at this aspect of salvation this morning, but if I had no scripture to stand on, no black and white, that I knew that salvation was eternal. And, and I've got lots of it. I've got, I, couldn't, I can't even fall off of it. There's so much uh, scripture to stand on. But if I had no other scripture other than Jesus is going to finish what he started, I would have no doubt that my salvation was eternal. Because he's the one finishing it, not me. He's the one that's going to stop it, not me. Years ago, I bought something. Or I didn't buy it. I got it for a friend. My old neighbor, Keith. Some of you know Keith. Keith wanted a traditional longboat. And I had made friends with a man who uh, worked for a company, Cascade Archery, Checkmate Archery in, in B.C. And we had become friends. And Mark's his name. And Mark was selling at the time. He was a custom bowyer. He made custom bows for two different companies. And 
and he was selling a very small amount of bow blanks. Now what that meant was he, he had a form that he designed his bows on and, and he would lay up the laminations. He'd lay the glass, the fiberglass and the wood laminations and the riser and uh, the glass in the back and he would glue it up and clamp it together and, and form it and the limbs rather than being profiled would just be square. And it would be rough and glue and rough edges all over it. But the way it came off the form, he would sell it like that. So he sold me one of those bow blanks. And I got it, and I was making it for my neighbor. And I laid out the markings on it. I went to a bandsaw, and, and I cut the profile of the limbs and a uh, drum sander and I, I shaped it and finished it. I glued overlays on the tips and I, I filed the string grooves and I shaped the grip. And after I got it all shaped and sanded and finished, I, I put a coat of finish on it. It was beautiful. It was beautiful until uh, his girlfriend drew it back and let go of the string without an error and broke the tip off of it. Uh, it's it's set it in my garage still. I need to fix it for him. That's only been there, you know, 10 years. Not a big deal. But I took the blank, what was begun, and I finished it. Now, I, I think I finished it well. I don't know that I finished it as well as Mark. Maybe I finished it to be prettier than Mark. I don't know. He started it. I finished it. But someone that had no woodworking skills, let's see, where's someone that has no woodworking skills? I'm looking. Uh, there we go. Peter's the sacrificial lamb. Uh, if I gave it to Peter, say, here, fix this, make this bow. Looks fixed to me. <laughs> it's going to look worse if I start touching it, right? If he tried to finish it, it may end up rough. God is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. Salvation is perfect because he's the starter. The good work in you is perfect because he does it. And your salvation is perfect, complete, and whole. Why? Because he finishes it. I said, Pastor, I've really messed up my life. You may have messed up some decisions in your life, but you haven't messed up salvation. You can't. Because that's his, that's his territory. He's the finisher. I want to read a couple of verses to you, and we'll close. Philippians 1.6, we looked at already being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. And then our text verse in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. I want to share three very, very short verses, very simple truths, to reinforce this morning and remind you that he is the finisher. Jude, Jude 24. The Bible says, Now unto him, that him is talking about our Savior, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Now hold on, faultless. That means, that means there's no fault. That means you're perfect. You're sinless. Uh, how many of you think you're sinless and faultless? If I ask Ann, uh, John, if I ask Ann, is your husband sinless, what's she going to say? Absolutely not. Uh, you know why? Because my wife would have to say the same thing. Because there's not one of us. Definitely Eric's not faultless. He's, the, man, he's got more faults than all of us. But no, you know, I don't know. There's Herman. He may have more than Eric. But we're not faultless. So how is that possible? How is it possible he's going to present me faultless? I got some faults. That's some serious Photoshop work in my life. But can I tell you that he can present me faultless because he's the one that finishes. He's the one that makes me like himself. Present me faultless, it tells us in the book of Jude, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jesus is the finisher of the good work in you. John 10, 27, an encouraging passage. We looked for a few days the theme of shepherding. 
of overseeing in our pastor's conference. But we see a shepherd's heart here in the Gospel of John. John 27, my sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. By the way, never still means never. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. By the way, that's you as well. You're not able to either. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. That's greater than you, greater than your sin, greater than your problems. And no man, even me, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Anyway, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to finish this thing. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. And on top of that, I'm in my Father's hand, and he's greater than all. Christian, you don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder, man, I wonder if I'm going to make it. I remember talking to a Catholic priest 25 years ago, and I asked that man, I believe a sincere man, I asked him, I said, sir, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Brother Campo, you know what he said? I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. A little religious man, sincere man, devoted man. You know why he didn't know? Because all he had to trust was the church, his prayers, and his work. And he had to hope that all that was enough when his last breath was taken that it would outweigh the bad in his life. That's what he was trusting. Christian, you know why that I have no question and no worry of my eternity? Because I'm not trusting me. Amen. If I had to trust me, well, we'd be in real trouble. I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can trust him. Amen. He wants to begin a good work in you, salvation. He wants to do it. He wants to perform it. He wants to work it, and he wants to finish it. That he might present, Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 5.27, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How wonderful. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you for being the author and the finisher of my faith. How powerful that thought. Lord, I pray this morning that there be one here that knows you not as Savior. I pray today that they would allow you to start that work in them by believing and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for Christians here this morning, Lord, that they would realize that they're not trying to perform for you. That they're not trying to make you love them. They're not living, trying to live in such a way that you'll finally be pleased with them. But Lord, may they rest easy knowing you love them, you're pleased with them, you desire them, and you want to perform the good in their life. May we yield to you. And Lord, may we rest easy this morning as believers as those who know we've called upon you as our Savior, may we rest easy knowing you're going to finish it. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to question. I don't have to finish what you started. You are the finisher. How powerful that thought. Lord, I pray you to work in hearts and lives this morning. Lord, I pray if there's even one person here that would question whether or not they're ready to stand before a holy God. If they could not answer assuredly, I know, Pastor, that I'm saved. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm going to heaven without a doubt based on what Jesus did. Lord, if there's even one here that could not say that confidently, Lord, I pray this morning during this time of invitation, Lord, they would come and let someone open the Word of God, the Bible, your Word with them, and share with them how they can have you begin that good work in them today. Lord, may that be the case. God, would you work in hearts.
Change us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning? A little different this morning. Would you stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment? In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. The music's going to play as we remain in a state of prayer this morning. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, with nobody looking around, I would not want to embarrass one person here. But with nobody looking around this morning but me and God. Is there anyone here this morning who would honestly say before God, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ready to face God. I don't know that I've got it settled. I don't know that I'm saved, but I want to get that settled someday before I die. Would you raise your hand and let me just pray for you this morning? Anyone like that? Say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm a born-again child of God, but I want to be someday before I die. Would you pray for me? If you're here this morning, Christian, and you say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you yield to let him do the good work in you? Would you trust him? Would you believe him? Would you walk by faith and not by sight? As the music begins to play, the altar's open, head still bowed, and eyes still closed. You come this morning. How about it, Christian? Maybe you just need to come and pause and thank God this morning. Thank him for being the doer of the good work in you. Maybe this morning you need to take a moment just to thank God. Thank God for what he's done. If you need to if you need to make a decision to trust Christ this morning, would you come? Would you come and let someone sit down with you and share with you the greatest news you've ever heard? God loves you. He desires to have you with him. He died for you, was buried and rose again and offers freely eternal life. Christian, this morning, maybe you just want to thank him and praise him. Maybe this morning you've been struggling. Maybe you've made this thing of the Christian life about you and about your performance, about how you could, how you could be impressive to God. Maybe this morning you need to humbly say to God, God, I need your help. I need to yield to you. I need to trust you. Maybe you've had some doubts about God finishing his work. Maybe you just need to thank him. Trust him. Praise him this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in our hearts this morning. I thank you for those you've spoken to. Lord, I pray that they would listen. I pray that they would answer that knock on their heart's door this morning. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and challenge us, encourage us. God, thank you for being the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you've done, for what you're going to do. God, may you be glorified this day. In your precious name we pray. Amen.